Welcome to Food and Loathing, where our auto racing coverage may not be as colorful as Hunter S. Thompson's reporting from the Mint 400, <laughs> but that's only because nobody here knows how to score good ether. <laughs> <sighs> Don't look at me. I'm your host, Al Mancini, a journalist who came to Las Vegas with the intention of partying like Hunter and did it for a while, but eventually realized there was some reporting that needed doing, particularly when it comes to restaurants. So I've been doing that for the last two decades, most recently creating the online restaurant guide Neon Feast. My co-host is a freelance food writer, the creator of the Wishbone and Vine food blog, and an admin for the Please Send Noodles cookbook-inspired home cooking club, the one and only Samantha Gemini Stevens. <laughs> and, Yay! And engineering this entire thing, our resident junk food junkie, a man whose resume as a journalist is so extensive and impressive that I have no idea why he lowers himself to work with the likes of me. Mr. Rich Johnson. Strictly money, you know. (laughs) Pardon me for mixing my movie metaphors and throwing a little blue velvet in there. There you go. (laughs) No worries. That's always welcome. Uh, Rich is also hosting our little trio today in his home. Actually, me in his home, Gemini via Zoom. Uh, We're all trying to get together right before the holidays so that you have something to listen to right after the holiday. And that's it. We're hoping this will get you through your post-relative, post-tryptophan, whatever the fuck. Like that yeah. shit is yeah, hangover yeah. And, and football don't forget the football enjoy some that's football right. listen to us that's that's where we're, we're, we're trying to bring you today so how's everybody doing today <sighs> fan-fucking-tastic how are you it's a nice day here is it a nice day there and where is there by the way it is there is playa del carmen south of cancun mexico wow nice and nice it's gorgeous it's 85 degrees it's humid it's lovely i can't be mad I love Mexico. I was discussing this with, um, well, online with Bill Kennedy um, from Downtown Project. He was noticing this, and I've noticed it as well. Like, if you tip with 20s in Mexico, it's like you're tipping with 100s. Hundred dollar oh, yeah. bills here, man. It's like they just they they kiss your ass in those big resorts, <laughs> and it's the only place you can go and get resort that I know of that's close, like a quick quick um couple of hours, yeah, yeah quick plane ride where you can get the kind of resorts that we have here in Las Vegas. You know, Absolutely. where you just sit at the giant pool complex, and you know, there's there's no place. I know that there are a couple in California, but they're way the fuck out of my price range, man. You know, and yeah, and I don't always want to do a staycation. Sometimes I want to do a vacation, and Mexico is awesome for that. Vacation is yeah. all I ever wanted. Yeah, we don't we don't we don't do the resort thing where we're staying with friends who have a condo here four to six months of the year, and it's just kind of nice because we walk around like locals. We have some favorite places. We know how to kind of get through the 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 chatter, and uh, but it's the same thing, man. Nobody tips, and so we're we you know we live in Vegas, so of course it's a huge tipping culture, and these people work their asses off, and so you know we tip well, and yeah, that makes all the difference when you go back to the same place. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. man. So um, look, I know you've got partying to do in Mexico. Everybody's got to start shopping and and doing stuff for Thanksgiving. I got to go buy yeah. my Thanksgiving ice cream flavors for the the one I'm going to. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. Yes, because I'm, I'm hitting salt and straw. Hopefully they're not sold out this day before Thanksgiving as we record this. So we may have a short episode today. I'm not really sure, but um, I 
have a couple interviews lined up that I've pulled excerpts from in the past, but which I want to share with you now in a longer form. So you're going to be hearing from the Golden Steers managing partner, Amanda Signorelli, as well as the Zook Group's executive chef, um, Justin Kalalui, later in this show. I'm also going to share with you a little rant, eh, less of a rant, more of an editorial, I guess, I posted on social media this week, which received an so overwhelming good. response, yeah. man. man. Seriously, over 200 shares, 400 likes and loves, and 150 comments within the first 24 hours. The topic is Formula One, and apparently I struck a nerve with my thoughts, so I'm going to offer that to you here in podcast form, and hopefully have a little discussion a little later in the show. But for awesome. now... You know what we do to start this show off. We like <laughs> yum, to tell yum. you where we've been eating and hopefully get you in the mood and inspire you to go spend some money in restaurants. So, Gemini, I know you're in Mexico right now, but where the fuck have you been eating in Las Vegas? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so obviously last week we recorded at Winnie and Ethel's, which is fantastic. Over the weekend, we went back. We took one of our girlfriends with us and had a blast. I mean, the biggest thing for me is services on point and oh my God, their sauces and gravies. If you're a breakfast person, go, go, go. I haven't had lunch yet um, other than tasting the meatball sandwich. So I'll just throw out there, you know, we had the chicken fried steak with the sausage gravy, which is already a go-to for me in town because- <laughs> Place has been open do... like a week and you have a go-to, I know, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I judge diners by their, their chicken fried steak. So I love the gravy. It's not- you know, overly loose. It's actually pretty thick. It's got lots of really good tasting sausage in it, full of flavor. Uh, the steak isn't overly tenderized as so many people do. So you actually get to chew it and taste the beef. And it's just lovely. Uh, we also tried the corned beef hash Benedict Ooh. with the lightest aerated hollandaise um, that mixes with the yolk of the egg. And it just becomes this beautifully almost cheesy sauce for the Benedicts. The corned beef hash is lovely. So many places add too many potatoes. You don't really get to taste too much. This corned beef was perfect. It, you could taste the the brine and the sort of pickling before you, before you cook it. Um, absolutely highly recommended. We tried the basic Benedict, which is pretty typical Canadian bacon. In this case, I think they use brown sugar ham. Um, absolutely gorgeous. They did offer a boozy pumpkin shake that morning because I know last week I talked about the mole boozy tequila shake. Yeah. Um, but they recognized me when I walked in, which I really <laughs> appreciated. And we got the chocolate mole again because I had to share that with uh, my, my girlfriend and my husband. Just so, as good as you remember? Oh, so good. Perfect, perfectly balanced, super chocolatey without being overly sweet. You still get all these great mole spices. And the booze is there, but you're not screwed up for the rest of the day because somebody just sloshed a bunch of tequila in there. They, there's really some thought put into these recipes, and I appreciate that. Man, I'm, I'm telling um, you, it's hard to find a good mole sauce oh, in this town. So, so finding it in milkshake form that you right? that somebody who knows food um, likes what they're doing with it, <laughs> wow. that it's not just um, a spicy you know, chocolate shake or something, right. I, I am impressed. Absolutely. Um, and then, so also on the weekend, we went to Good Morning Kitchen and Cocktail Bar. Uh, the fried softshell crab Benedict mm. is awesome. Um, I got that without the bread and instead had some avocados and tomatoes with it, which was absolutely fantastic. The softshell crab is is ugh, idyllic for, for lack of a better term at the moment. It's super crispy on the outside, super tender and flavorful. The coating actually has seasoning, which I appreciate. The crab itself was seasoned. Um, and they also have an amazing hollandaise if you can get down there. Uh, John had the breakfast sandwich with scrambled eggs, Canadian bacon, caramelized onions, and this sriracha aioli on their own brioche. Like, 
stupid Damn. good, yeah. great servings. Every you can taste everything in it. Nothing feels muddled when I go there, which I really like. Um, I did go ahead and have a cocktail that day as well called the Early Fashion, and it's made with a chai tea. What it what I don't know for sure is if it's a syrup or if it's actual tea that they just pour into the drink. Um, I'm going to guess that it's more of the syrup thing because it is a tad sweet for my palate, um, but super delicious. They make their own bitters. They use a great amount of bourbon and then they top it with one of my favorites, a candied bacon. Ooh. So you really can't go wrong. It's like <laughs> breakfast in a glass. You get tea, you get bourbon, you get bacon. Like you can't breakfast really go wrong. Breakfast in a glass, bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like your ba- um, your breakfast basics. Right? Things hey, bourbon. you know. Um, Chef Adam Allen is also now offering, I think I'm saying this right, Spookies, Spookies, S-P-U-K-I-E-S. My understanding Mm. is another slang term for like a hoagie or a grinder or something like that. Oh. Um, and he's, he's working right now with Chef, um, Stephen Lee over at Jagogi's Ghost Kitchen at Summerlin Takeout. And so I've talked about and and had the burger from chef steven and the the korean fried chicken so this time i wanted to try chef allen's stuff and so i ordered the maxwell street italian combo which is two of my favorite things beef with you as a sandwich italian and beef polish, yeah. yeah and a polish dog and they put it all together so you so, get the Polish dog, you get the Italian beef on top. I got it with the jardinera and the caramelized onions, as well as a little extra jus, because I just love that dipping the whole thing, especially if it's nice and flavorful. This was. Um, and then he also had something called a, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, a jabarito, J-A-B-A-R-I-T-O, which is cumin and lime marinated steak, garlic aioli, lettuce, tomato, red onion, on mashed and fried plantains as the bread portion of the sandwich. Oh, it was inspired. It was really delicious and different. There's chew and tenderness in all the right places. The veg pops nicely to balance the richness of the steak and the fried plantains. And I am just looking forward to getting home so I can order more. So the meat. Uh, so let's get this straight now. This is um, Chef Adam Allen is doing this, and he's doing this over at In Limbo, which is the ghost yes, kitchen. Yes, he's doing it In Limbo at the Summerlin Takeout. They have um, updated recently on all of their social media that you can order if you need to um, online via DoorDash, Uber Eats. I think Grubhub is on there. Now, you've been there uh, several times so far, right? Or you've ordered have, from there several times. Have, have you actually been over to pick it up yourself or have you no, been doing the delivery? No, I've got a date to do that next week. Yeah. So I've got do we know what the I'm setup is over like there. over there? Because I haven't been over yet either. So I do know from talking to Chef Steven that, you know, you can order online and then you walk in and there's like this reception sort of area um, where you can give them your order number or hit something on a kiosk and your food comes out to you. Um, And no tables in there to eat on site though. Not that I'm aware of. No, it is strictly that ghost kitchen setup. You can take it to go or you can order it online. Those are the two options. Um, And they have um, a website of their own um, on their social media. Go check it out. It's through getbento.com, but (laughs) the whole URL is on their social media um, and so you can order everything you need to ahead of time through them as well. And Chef Allen's um, concept is known as Spukies, S-P-U-K-I-E-S. You have it spelled correct. Here? I yep. don't like the idea of putting pukey into the. I know. Uh, name I was. Of a I'm food. a little. I'm a little turned <laughs> off by the name, but I will tell you the food was delicious. I was going to say you have me at um, Maxwell Street, which is one of the great <laughs> eating streets on the uh, near west side of Chicago. 
There you go. Um, yeah, it, it's really good. I mean, the Polish dog was great. The Jardinera was great. It really took me back to a lot of the sandwiches and things like that I've had in Chicago. So I was super happy with that. And then this almost Cuban sandwich empanada thing happening um, on the Jabarito was beautiful. So definitely check both of those out. And while you're there, get the kimchi smash burger and the Korean fried chicken from Chef Steven because why not? It's just I, may awesome. get, I may order one of those um those Korean fried chickens on my way out of yeah. here today because you're not so too far good. from there, Rich. I don't no, think. not yeah. at all. Yeah. No, you're going to be right there. Um, and then shout out to Patisserie Manon. It's a full service breakfast, lunch, and pastry bakery on Charleston and Marialdo, not far from Fort Apache. Um, and they always have something good. They've got a lot of static stuff, but then they kind of change things up when it comes to pastries or soups or certain sandwiches and things like that. This for us was a sweet tooth thing. So we enjoyed some chocolate eclairs with some smooth, flaky shoe pastry wonderfully dense creamy chocolate filling and that glaze you get on most um eclairs not too big kind of dense really great for sharing um and then we also got a coconut flan which is a massive serving for only six or seven dollars like it's got to be a quarter of the pie or at least close you know i always um, appreciate a place that takes its you know hygiene and cleanliness uh seriously <laughs> yeah they do. every time yeah. i walked in that place and this is now seven eight years ago that i have not yeah. been back the place just reeked of ammonia and industrial cleaner Oof. totally blowing off any beautiful bread or pastry smell yeah so. try going back in because i think they've had a management change um over the past six to eight months or so all right um, i could yeah. be off by a couple of months but um try going back in because the last few times i've walked in there i mean the smell is inviting and it right. makes you eat everything it's um, on you so now. yeah yeah I, I will take that <laughs> um we can go together when i get home there you go uh and then the other thing we ordered was the coconut flan like i mentioned um the custard is really great the crust is really great um even the next day the custard didn't get soggy or any or the the crust didn't get soggy or anything like that but when you tell me it's a coconut flan and you advertise it as a coconut flan I want to taste more coconut. And this tasted like a typical flan. It was very wonderful custard. It just didn't have any extra flavor to it. Um, have the and texture the only of those coconut flakes. Like a lot of people just add coconut yeah. for texture, I feel. Um, this was, it was not toasted as heavily as I like because I like them to be a little bit crispy. Uh, but they were, they did get some attention. They were toasted a bit. Um, and they didn't sog out, um, like I said, even the next day, because we couldn't finish the whole thing in one day. Um, even the next day, it still had some texture, which I really enjoyed. But again, the only coconut was the flakes on top. Mm. Um, so it's wonderful, but just be prepared walking in when they offer certain flavors of flan, you might want to just double check if the custard itself has those flavors in it, because that's what I was hoping for. Right. Uh, but otherwise, always get great service there. Um, the prices are really great. They've got all kinds of desserts for everybody. They've got pre-made cakes. They've got, you know, down to macarons. They've got everything. Um, and again, a great breakfast and sort of lunch service uh, that carries into dinner. But I think they do better with that sort of early to midday stuff. So, yeah, I was able to get around to quite a few places last week. I was yeah, pretty happy with that. Before you ducked out of town. Awesome. <laughs> what about you, Richmond? Where have you been dining? Well, Jim and I uh, did that. And Jim and I, as opposed to Jim and I. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Jim and I and I. Oh, no. We did that breakfast after we recorded at Winnie and Ethel's. And yes. as much as you love the... Uh, 
Uh, chicken fried steak. I love the bacon, eggs, toast, and hash browns. My, of course, bedrock dinner, and it was one of the best ever. Breakfast. Love it. Breakfast. What did I say? Dinner. Dinner. I mean, it could be your bedrock. <laughs> I could dinner. do that. I, it, it has That's been true. off and on. Yeah, I'm not ashamed on I that. I like breakfast for dinner. Once <laughs> in a while. As much as I love that, I also love the same breakfast the next day at Morning News which is a oh, yeah. new place on West Sahara, just west of Palace Station near, I think it's Valley View. A modest yep. room. It was very full just a few days after uh, opening, apparently. Everything mm-hmm. was absolutely perfect. The eggs over medium, the way I like it, the hash browns crispy and the sourdough toast, all that stuff. And here's the uh, the up. You know, we love that 25-cent coffee at Winnie and Ethel's, and it was good, solid diner coffee. It was. Morning News has Dark Moon coffee the deepest, mm. darkest diner coffee, any coffee I have ever <laughs> had. And man, you want to talk about a morning slap in the face, have some of that stuff with your meal. So that really put it above and beyond. I, and I, will... lo- I went there a couple weeks ago. I loved the coffee. I, I yeah. usually drink tea in the morning, but that coffee was really damn so good. Where, where's Morning News located? Uh, West Sahara, just east of uh, Valley View, okay. I believe. You go past uh, Palace Station, uh, three or four blocks, it'll be on the right. Okay. You're heading that way on Sarah. I found myself in the Southwest Valley looking for a quick lunch the other day, and I found Master Kim's Korean Barbecue on South Durango, Ooh. just south of Uncommons, the first next strip mall complex of stuff. I think there's a holistic health and massage people and a couple of other. There's a crab seafood, one of the boil-in-the-bag joints in that whole thing, and then Master Kim's, which is an all-you-can-eat Korean place with a lunch special option, which was the—there were several things. I chose the bulgogi beef bento. Not really a full bento box, but it was filling. A ton of already cooked uh, bulgogi, rice noodles, white rice. And then instead of bringing the whole six or eight little bunch on side items, they present you with a menu of all those items, and you pick the ones you want. So you don't get the ones you don't like, and you uh, definitely cut down on waste— I chose the kimchi, of course, and a salad. Uh, great basic stuff for a $24 all-you-can-eat. They had two more price points higher. I think they went up to about $35, bucks, which is where that's where you get the uni and such, and, and uh, it was all great. I was in Los fantastic. Angeles uh, over the weekend for the uh, Seahawks-Rams. Uh, my Seahawks lost. Uh, first, yeah. trip to, first trip to SoFi Stadium. Man, what a great venue. All props to Allegiant Stadium, a great football venue, but... Uh, SoFi was just over the top. More levels. The weird thing is when you walk in at street level, you're on the third level of the stadium. It's 90 feet down <laughs> to um, to field level. Interesting. And the reason is because it's near the airport. And they had to build it. They couldn't build it very far up. Mm. They had to go down, down, down. Now, Interesting. all that was great. I was in the press box. I can't complain. I had a nice little, uh, you know, brunch uh, thing. And then at halftime, I'm always looking forward to stadium hot dogs. <laughs> hot dogs are always better when there's a game in front of you. <laughs> and with all due respect, my friends of the Seahawks who got me in and the Rams and everything else, the hot dog and the bacon it was wrapped in. They mm. wrapped bacon around the hot dog. Sonora dog. Sonora dog, I guess, yeah. in a bun. The dog, the bacon, the bun. Stone fucking cold. No, awful. Damn it. Reminded me of the old joke about uh, how do you warm up your hot dog at Fenway Park? I have no idea. You dip it in the beer. (laughs) (laughs) That's from the eighties and nineties. They've they've improved since then. (laughs) On the drive drive back, I drove through uh, around Victorville looking for like a one-off mom and pop drive-in, 
And boy, I failed. <laughs> I, I thought it was a one-off. It's called Baker's Drive-Thru. It's a chain of about 40 places, mostly in the Inland Empire. San Bernardino is their hub. They boast fresh ingredients. Uh, the lettuce and tomato and the small burger, definitely fresh. Special sauce was fine. I was trying to be responsible to my calorie count by ordering the small burger, and it was uh, definitely <laughs> small, like an eighth of a pound, a sixth of oh, a pound. God. Way too small for the condiments in the bun. <laughs> and despite everything looking fine, it was just, it was fine. You know, yeah. fries were decent, thin fries, freezer fries, properly cooked, but again, fine, which of course to my weird fast food snobbery is not fine. <laughs> uh, so if you got, Go to better restaurants, yeah, give serve me, you better food. Give me a real mom and pop in Barstow or Victorville and uh, I'll go there someday. Uh, as you hear this, Thanksgiving is uh, maybe a memory to your waistline and all that. Our plan is a scaled down dinner. I got a turkey breast. Uh, first time I've done that instead of the full turkey. So we'll see how it turned out. So no wishbone for you. No wishbone. Uh, Lots of dressing. I love the dressing. I got everything there for that, including wild rice and cranberries and pecans, mushrooms, all kinds of different mushrooms, and uh, some uh, Josh Puzzle Robles Cab and a pumpkin cake dessert and a lot, a lot, a lot of football, especially when my ducks play on Friday, as you listen to this, just a few hours away. So like that's, that's my weekend food. Okay. Well, let's get to me, I Yeah. yeah. So much for the shortened show. Yeah, so much, man. We, and I will take no responsibility for stretching it out yet, but give me time. But yet. Yes. Okay. Um, the, so the, by the time we finished recording last week, F1 weekend was just getting started. Um, I dropped by Aria to see the massive candy race car on display next to the Aria patisserie near the Hacienda Avenue lobby. You can find a video of that over on the Neon Feast TikTok page. I also went over to the Chewy Bar at Bellagio, an F1 pop-up where they were offering cocktails inside Italian leather racing shoes. No, just um, no. Yeah. No, there was a glass inside it and all that, but I saw the guy doing that thing and just... No. It was a big fucking thing over the <laughs> weekend, so I went over there and it was fine. Um, and you can see a video of that over on the Neon Feast TikTok um, account. Then on Thursday night, I attended the Culinary Kickoff Grand Prix at Allegiant Stadium. Um, that was on the Coors Light Landing, which is the area right around the torch bar there. So Todd English ran the show. Um, the chefs who were there included Rick Moonen, Aaron May, Todd's daughter, Belle, who Rich and I met a little over a year ago at Bottle Rock. Yeah. You may recall she was in the back putting caviar on a lot of stuff for Williams Sonoma. <laughs> um, so she was there and she was doing some dishes. Fantastic. From the NFL, we had Charles Woodson pouring his whiskey and Emmett Smith promoting that elusive restaurant. Oh. Is, although I didn't get the details on what's going on with that. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Question? No, I just I uh, forgot that it still is possibly a thing. Or yeah, it seems yeah. like it was still possibly a thing, but I did not get any one-on-one time with him. I did talk to Todd, but not on the record. I mean, just not on you know yeah. recording. Uh, but I did play. Uh, did did speak a little bit with our friend Rick Moonen. Right now we're in Allegiant Stadium at the Coors Light la- uh, Landing, they call this, and uh, we're celebrating uh, F1, man. First time, first year here in Vegas. Super exciting. And so this is a culinary kickoff. Todd English is the, the headliner, and we're, we're all his friends, and we're helping out and to do a huge reception, and we're trying to raise some money. We've got a great auction going on for Larry Arubo and Kabil's, uh, uh, what's it called, the Brain Center? I'm sorry, I'm like, Lou Arubo. I've changed names so many times in my life. You know what it is. It's a gorgeous building downtown, and uh, that's why I'm here, man. We're having a good time. 
Ooh, what you make? I got a uh, little, uh, like a corn pancake that's made with a shrimp and scallop mousse, so it's nice and airy. On top, instead of caviar, I made a, a wheat lacoche and black garlic caviar full of umami and a little bit of citrus crema. I got to do seafood. They all expect it. You know what I'm saying? And I also spoke to Chef Aaron May about why he was there. It's F1. I mean, how can you miss F1 in Las Vegas? Todd English calls. When Todd calls, normally I bring bail money, but tonight I brought tea smoked duck with truffle fried rice. So are you going to F1? I am. I I couldn't be more excited. I'm going to go check out Gordon Ramsay's restaurant Trackside at the garage. I'm going to go check out the all the parties. I'll be in the paddock on Saturday. I can't wait. I'm so not going to comment on that. that thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. You know what? Let's let that one go without comment. So that was my first F1 experience. Then on um, Friday night, I was invited up to the skyboxes above the East Harmon grandstands. And I got to say, holy shit. What a scene that was. I mean, first of all, the entire scene around the F1 area that I was on was unreal. It was like a big festival. The, there were areas behind the grandstands. It's like you're at a concert, you know, um, just all kinds of food things set up, all kinds of experiences. But this, of course, is for people who had paid to, to purchase tickets already. Um, but then you had to take this fucking elevator up to the skyboxes and... Wow. Wow. Uh, Food was fantastic. There was a full bar. It was set up like a Las Vegas lounge. Again, check out the TikTok feed or some of my other personal feeds. I put some video up there. Um, Just really crazy. I mean, a a fucking string quartet performing, um, (laughs) food being made to order for you. And then, you know, you walk out and you oversee the entire, you know, F1 right where the starting line was basically was where the area was. Wow. Um, these tickets were something like $10,000 for a weekend pass. So I was very glad mine were comped and we had a blast. Sue fell in love with the cars and watching them move around. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not as much of a fan, but I could certainly see the appeal. I mean, they, the F1 promised spectacle and this was spectacular, man. I've, we're going to give them credit for, for yeah. giving us a show that was certainly worth the hype, even if yeah. not a lot of people got to see it. Um, Only a hundred thousand. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not sure how we even test those numbers. To be honest, like, you know, that's oh. I, and I'm you don't about, trust F1. What's no, no, wrong I'm with you? I'm talking about like old concert numbers. A lot of times, if yeah. you hear how many people attended, for example, um, for example, Life is Beautiful, they'll to- they'll total up the number of tickets sold oh, yeah. on multi days. So it doesn't necessarily. I, so I I just don't know oh, yeah. about those numbers, and, and we'll get to that. You know, shortly. I mean, it's just the way you keep statistics for events like that that are multi-days that I'm always skeptical of. Um, two of the many locals that I bumped into at the culinary kickoff, however, were chefs Nicole Brisson and Rob Moore of Brezza. And they told me about an F1 weekend brunch that they had added to their offerings, which is honestly something I saw a handful of very good restaurants doing because their dinner reservations were so light during F1 weekend. Mm, um, yeah. So unsurprisingly, when we dropped by on Saturday to Brezza for the brunch. It was fucking amazing. They had drink station and pasta station set up out on the patio. There were small plates laid out on tables just in front of their open kitchen. A server was scooping caviar onto little puffy pastry bread things. Um, And man, we tried 
everything. Oysters, caviar, crudo, charred octopus, salads, multiple pastas, a ravioli with a fresh egg center and then with some shaved truffle on top. Um, uh, another ravioli stuffed with beef cheek, a farmhouse tart, a crab frittata, some alina cake. Man, this, oh, wow. this just goes on and on and on and it was amazing. So thanks to Chef Nicole and Chef Rob for the invitation to that. And I wish that more restaurants had realized in advance that their dinners were going to be slow so they could maybe have switched over to a model like this and publicized did a bit further in advance, gotten more work Absolutely. for their employees who you know may have had to go home early. So keep that in mind, F1 and F1 restaurants for next year. <laughs> of course, I'm going to have more on that in the center of the show. But on Saturday, I had not been offered any tickets to F1, and that is fine. I did not buy any, so that's cool. Uh, I didn't want to beg anyone for them, so I was very grateful for what I had gotten Friday night. So I decided to head down to the Arts District. And we had, with my friend Jackie and Sue and I, had an amazing dinner at Esther's. I had their tortellini and spicy clam broth. It was excellent. Sue had um, a pasta, which I believe was a lamb ragu. Very good. Jackie had a vegan risotto that she loved. Chef Dylan sent out some, you know, all of the spreads, I should say, for the bread, as well as some regatta nudie everything wonderful 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 esther's kitchen of course is one of the the shining stars of the arts district um i will say um saturday night in las vegas there were some empty tables in esther's kitchen that's a rarity yeah when people wanted to and i'm not saying esther's kitchen was suffering but when people want to talk about how other places did around f1 weekend seven o'clock three hours before race time in the arts district and there were Empty tables at Esther's Kitchen. That is a rarity. Afterwards, we dropped into 1228 Main for some drinks. And also very quiet. A lot quieter than I was expecting it to be in there. Um, But we had a great time. Really enjoyed it. Um, We brought home some pumpkin cheesecake. Sue actually convinced me to switch my order from Basque cheesecake to um, pumpkin cheesecake because I didn't want the calories from both. And she loved the one that we got more than I did. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was really good. But, man, I really like their Basque cheesecake, which I've been developing a taste for over the past couple of years. Um, then finally, what was it? I went back to Nene last night for some sushi, and I honestly think it's become soon our favorite off-strip Japanese restaurant. It is way the fuck over on the west side, like Grand Canyon-ish, I think, in Flamingo, you know, where that Chuck E. Cheese is and the Frankenfinas and Rolling Smoke Barbecue. Well, it's way over there, and it is awesome. And it has cuts like Otoro and Chutoro and lots of other premium pieces of fish <laughs> at incredibly reasonable prices, yep. um, and they're good. So the place is on the Neoni Feast app. Check that out. And I think that's about it for this part of the show. Oh, I'm exhausted. Yeah, right. Coming up in the news, an abrupt closure in Henderson. First, we're talking to the Golden Steers managing partner, Amanda Signorelli, and the Zoop Group's executive chef, Justin Kaluli. Al's going to read you that editorial on Formula One and just what went wrong. This is Food and Loathing. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. You want more Al Mancini? You can hear me all week long on all of the Highway Drive and Vegas Vibe radio stations delivering the Neon Feast foodie updates. Also, keep your eyes open for my appearances on Wake Up With The CW and my videos on the at Vegas social media channels. And you can find some of my writings at visitlasvegas.com. A few weeks ago, Al spoke to the Zoot Group's executive chef, Justin Kalalui, mostly about the new patio offerings they had going on over there, which have since moved inside. But they spoke on some other topics that we thought you might want to hear as well. Let's introduce you to the world. Could you um, tell people how long you've been running, you know, the executive chef for Zook Group, when you took that over, where you came from first, et cetera? So coming here from Hawaii in April of 21, been on Resorts World since with a pre-opening team, took over as executive chef about six months ago. Okay, great. So... How have things changed within Zook Group restaurants since you've taken over? I mean, did you do a, a revamp of any menus, a revamp of what the, a reconcepting of anything? Uh, no, no actual reconcept. We have a concept to follow. We're uh, based out of Malaysia, but I have changed the menu twice already since taking over the role. And that's here at Fuhu you've changed the menu twice? Yes, sir. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this because I think Fuhu, and correct me if I'm wrong, Fuhu seems to um, fit into that niche that is very distinctly Las Vegas. It's number one, Pan-Asian, which is very popular, but it's also Pan-Asian with a club feel, right? And that goes back, you know, two decades. I can remember places like Social House, etc. cetera. So um, is that still the vibe that you guys are going for? Yes, we still do our vibe dining here. We're located right next to Zook Nightclub, so we're going to come in and check out uh, Fuhu, dine-in, pre-gaming before heading into nightclub, Zook. So what's that mean menu-wise? What kind of food can people expect when they come here into Fuhu? Uh, very um, Asian-inspired dishes here. We have a lot of dishes here that are designed to be shared at the table. So when you order like our teriyaki barbecue glazed octopus, edamame puree, pickled cucumbers, um, designed to share for people of four to six people at the table. So I know last time I was here, um, we saw we had dim sum during the brunch menu, so Chinese influence there. Um, there were some dishes that had some um, definitely Thai influences, definitely did some sushi with Japanese influences. I think maybe I saw some Vietnamese influences on the menu. Am I remembering right? Or, or am I just imagining that? I don't recall if we have Vietnamese <laughs> per se, but I, I know we are all over the place. We have some Chinese, we have Japanese, we have Hawaiian influence as well, as well as a little bit of Filipino cuisine in there. 
Um, and of course, the one thing that brings it all together is that shareability and that party atmosphere. Uh, you guys recently reintroduced brunch, and you're sort of an anomaly in Las Vegas. Everybody else does a Sundays only brunch. You do a Saturdays only brunch. So tell me a bit about why it's a Saturday brunch, and then how that brunch menu is different from what you do the rest of the week. That's a good cure for your Friday night hangover from the club. So we do it on Saturdays, and I think it'll be catching everybody for the checkout on Sunday. So um, I know that, you know, whenever I go to a brunch, in addition to getting all the great savory dishes that you want, I always want to end it up with some sweet nod to breakfast. And you do some pretty cool sweet dishes here. Can you tell me a bit about this? Yes, our uh, stuffed French toast with, uh, with Nutella, a little bit of um, hazelnut crunch on there, and strawberry sauce. Cool. Um, did I do one other dish too? No, I did the French test, right? I oh, you did one. That one. oh yeah, I did that one. Oh, and also the ube pancakes. Can you tell me a bit about this? Yeah, it's a little homage to the Philippines. We got our uh, toasted coconut on there, ube pancakes, and a condensed milk syrup. Which are awesome because they're purple. And anytime I can eat purple food, I'm happy. In fact, I felt like I should have gotten purple put in my hair so that I would match that day. But I i don't know what color I had in. Anything major going on over at Here Kitty Kitty? That's your venue, correct? And, um, and Red Tail is your venue as well, right? So uh, anything new happening at either of those that I need to know about? If you're a big football fan, Thursday Night Football, Monday Night Footballs, come check it out. Happy Hour Specials. We're doing Reverse Happy Hour at Red Tail, I believe, from 10 o'clock to closing around midnight. Another recent interview Al conducted we thought you might want to hear a little more of, his chat with the Golden Steers managing partner Amanda Signorelli. So Amanda, congratulations. I understand this is the first new renovation that you guys have done in like 50-ish years or something. Can you tell me what's going on here at Golden Steer? Yeah, you got it right. This is the first renovation since 1978. We are thrilled because we had an opportunity to take over our next door neighbor's space and convert it into an additional thousand square feet, almost 65 folks that we'll be able to host in that space alone. And the big thing for us was learning how do we physically expand the Golden Steer and keep the legacy. The worst scenario for us was to make it something modern and really new and really glitzy and glamorous. The best for us was how do we preserve what is historic? What do we do that's true to this space and use it as an opportunity to take it and expand and actually endeavor to have that legacy come alive. So you said about 65 more people. So what's that bring the total occupancy up to? So at one given time, we'll end up being able to do closer. It'll be right underneath 300. So we're good there, but we're looking closer to like the 240 range, which will be wonderful. Cool. And for those who know Golden Steer, but don't really know the details of it, right? Because it's such a Las Vegas institution, but in a town that doesn't pay attention to its history, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, Golden Steer, great, old Vegas. I haven't been in there in 10 years. I haven't been in there in 12 years. I haven't been in there, whatever. Could you explain what it is that you do here and how it is still a throwback to those classic Vegas days? Yeah, I'm actually gonna put it in the words of a customer. So we had someone who dined with us and said, I love coming here because at the end of the day, it feels like it's the soul of Las Vegas. And I was so touched and moved by that description because I think it's really accurate. We've really thought about this as part museum, part restaurant, part experience, but it is something that's reflective of Vegas over the years. We started back in 1958. We've kept as much as we can so that it's part of the patrons who came here and it's a living, breathing entity. So we have the original patrons where you had Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Tony Spilatro, like all of those people. And then you have the new versions where you've got Raiders players, Golden Knights players, folks that have DJs, folks that have residencies. But it's something that's a little piece of every moment and that snapshot of Vegas that continues through the time. 
When people walk through the doors, what are some of the kind of throwbacks that they will see? Yeah, so the most famous one is everybody loves to sit in the Frank Sinatra booth where he used to come and dine. That's Sammy Davis Jr. as well. We've also got the Clint Eastwood booth. For me, the big thing is imagining the moment when that happened. So back in the times, unfortunately, it was the case that Vegas very long ago was incredibly segregated. And so folks like Sammy Davis Jr. were welcome to perform, but not welcome to dine or actually stay anywhere on the strip. The Golden Steer didn't believe that. We didn't support that. We thought that was ridiculous. And we said, Sammy, there's going to be a spot permanently for you in the main dining room, wherever you want it. So, you know, you have a home, choose a spot and that's yours. And that's what got us really going on actually having the booths. And so he chose a booth that was his. And then the rest of the Rat Pack came and then chose their booths right around there to be able to support. And so you can imagine them performing, coming back, serenading cigars, whiskey, having just a grand old time living and breathing inside this restaurant. Uh, So what's the menu look like? And has that kept up with the times? I mean, the idea of what makes a great steak was very different 50 years ago. And we know a lot more about the cows, maybe a bit more than we (laughs) want to know sometimes. I mean, I got their nose prints and their birth certificates and things like that. But um, how have you kept up with with keeping the menu modern while still maintaining that heart and soul? Yeah, so it started off as a Western Frontier restaurant. So what that tactically meant back in the day was people would go out to the mountains, whatever they caught, they would bring in, and we would literally butcher for them and then serve them. And so what I heard from back in the day is one of the grossest things and the hardest things to butcher that we used to do was rattlesnake. And if you look at the versions of the recipes and versions of the meals from back in like 1962, there's a lot of game, there's turtle, there's snakes, there's a lot of things like that. That has fallen off. So that's number one of modernizing. We've left that behind. But some pieces of that that we've pulled forward is we still actually butcher all of the primals ourselves here in house. So when we have the steaks that come out, we've hand carved them. We do that still in the back. And it's a big part of what we believe is important to be able to keep that product super fresh. It also means every steak's gonna be a little different, right? Some's gonna be a little bit more fatty. Some is gonna be a little more lean, but you're always gonna have something that came right off that primal, which is huge. Other pieces that are really core to the restaurant is keeping it prime. So it's all prime beef that we serve, something that's really big on our belief. That's the top 6% of beef in America. It's coming from USDA and it's not prime beef where we're saying, here's the marketing term. No, it's USDA prime. It's certified. We're checking it. We're constantly on it. And that's really important to maintaining quality. Now, do you do things like um, Japanese Wagyu and, you know, keeping up with all those trends? You know, it's funny. We have people every once in a while like, oh, you should bring it in. And the reality is sometimes we test it just to see. More often than not, it's not what people want from us. They want to have the classics. They want to have a giant 22-ounce USDA Prime ribeye, and they want to have a larger-than-life twice-baked potato that's double the size of their hand. Like, <laughs> that's what they want. Right, cool. No, that makes sense. And this is not where I want to come for um, A5 necessarily. So talk about just a couple of the other classic dishes that you do to maintain that, because there's something about a throwback steakhouse. Don't get me wrong, Las Vegas has amazing modern steakhouses, reinterpretations of steakhouses. We have deconstructed steakhouses houses. Um, but you know, there's, there's you guys, maybe one other in town that I won't mention here that, that to me, it is the classic all American Rat Pack here, steakhouse. And that means certain dishes besides just the steak. You mentioned the potato, anything else? Yeah. So chicken of the angels having, I think for me, that really translates to having an Italian specialty section. You've got to have some of those classics, whether it's chicken Parmesan, if you're going to do something that's going to be eggplant Parmesan, but you still have to have those Italian elements because that's part of a lot of the history. Um, so that's one portion. The other element that I think is really important is the seafood. So you've got to have great, great, great crab. I think that's huge. And you have to have wonderful lobster. For us, that was a big surprise, to be honest. We didn't realize how popular we would become for lobster. And now that's arguably 
relatively close to like top three things from a main standpoint that we're serving on a given night. People love our lobsters and that actually predominantly came from social media. We've always had a great lobster tail. It has never been as popular as it is today, but I do think having an amazing seafood tower is very core to like a classic steakhouse experience. Okay, so as I mentioned, I posted my thoughts on F1 on Facebook this week, and they were not brief. In fact, post came in just under a thousand words. Um, normally, a post like that gets a lot of people posting TLDR, too long, didn't read. And then a handful <laughs> of people who want to dig into one tiny detail and tear it apart without mentioning the bigger picture. Um, I didn't write this expecting a big response, but I'd been having conversation over conversation about F1 for weeks. I had finally been out to see the event itself. Which And I, I got to say, I was very impressed by the scale and the spectacle. But I'd also visited the Arts District on race night and seen crowds far smaller than normal. I'd heard chefs at high-end restaurants on the Strip, some of them in resorts that were completely sold out, complaining about not having any bookings because all their customers were eating at um, paddock parties. I had a lot going on in my head. And when I do these days, I really try to write it out to organize my thoughts. It's an exercise for me. I've gotten to really love the written words and you know which is funny man when i was in law school i got onto moot court honor society with the um the lowest writing score of anybody who was ever accepted <laughs> onto their team and it was my oral argument skills that that got me on that me year talk good yeah me talk good but um i have in in recent years i really have have gone to like just trying to put my thoughts down on paper and that was what i was trying to do with this and holy shit what a response last i checked before coming over here it had about 475 like and loves zero frowny faces 250 shares 163 comments um but more importantly messages that i was getting um from people that told me like hey man this really you know got us talking about it you, you raised a lot of points didn't necessarily agree with it but man it really sparked conversations that makes me feel incredibly fucking good i mean just to know that that people are having an ongoing conversation maybe i triggered a little bit of that um it's so rewarding so look i'm going to read you a bit of that i know a lot of people don't even use facebook it's an old person thing um so here it is uh, in spoken form. My two cents on F1 from the perspective of someone who's been um, spent 22 years reporting on and promoting all of Las Vegas's over-the-top spectacles. So most who witnessed F1 firsthand seem to agree that it was a spectacle worthy not only of Las Vegas, but of the considerable hype that preceded it. And yet most non-luxury businesses within or near the race zone seem to agree that the payoff for the considerable inconveniences they were forced to endure was not immediately evident. Only time will tell whether the secondary effects in the form of massive publicity for our city amongst F1's international audience will prove to have been worth their inconvenience. I suspect they will, but I also doubt it will be obvious enough to win over some of the naysayers. And the sad part is that most of the negative sentiment and the negative effects could have probably been avoided if F1 had learned one simple lesson from the countless huge brands that have attempted to expand into Las Vegas before them. And that lesson is, it doesn't matter how amazingly well your brand has done in other cities or how proven you believe your methods are, you will need to adapt for our unique market. And let me tell you, for over two decades, I have seen proven brands with brilliant people struggle to adjust to Las Vegas because they think they could just repeat their formula in our unique environment. 
The ones that succeed are the ones that realize you need to do things a little differently in Las Vegas and play by our bizarre rules, which honestly are unlike rules anywhere else. You want an example? NHL fans in other cities laughed at the spectacle of a Golden Knights game for most of our first season. But Bill Foley and the Maloofs knew that if they wanted to succeed here, they had to go beyond an NHL experience and create a Vegas experience. Yeah. In this instance, F1 ignored one very simple tenet of Las Vegas, and that is that we thrive by offering offering an experience for every price range. Look, Sphere became an international sensation by offering free entertainment to the world on its exterior skin, while also offering a unique and exorbitantly priced concert experience (laughs) inside. The Super Bowl will draw fans who plan to watch it from luxury boxes in Allegiant Stadium, as well as fans who plan to watch it while eating hot dogs in a sports book. New Year's Eve revelers can choose to dress up for a formal event with champagne and caviar, or to pound beer from giant plastic footballs on Fremont Street. Life is beautiful and EDC offers sections with five-figure bottle service minimums or more, as well as general admission tickets and more affordable spin-off events and parties. And yet F1 came in and basically promised us that we would be able to fill every room and every restaurant in our town with billionaires and multimillionaires, encouraging operators to jack up their prices to exclude anyone who couldn't afford to arrive by private jet. True story. That was a flawed idea from the start. Look, more than half of the rooms and half of the businesses in this town would never live up to the standards of the private jet class because Vegas has a business model that, unlike Monaco, offers rooms, restaurants, and experiences to suit every price range. You cannot just jack up the price for everything and call it all ultra luxury. (laughs) If you want a sold out weekend in Las Vegas, you must have an experience for everyone. Unfortunately, by the time the resorts caught on to this and began lowering their prices for some rooms, it was too late. The word had already gone out to Vegas aficionados across the globe that only the super rich would be welcome this weekend. And as a result, businesses suffered. The good news, I would say, is that this is a really easy problem to correct if you also see this as a problem. And hopefully (laughs) some people do. They now know how many luxury tickets they can expect to sell for future events. All they need to do now is come up with a few lower tier experiences that will allow more people to enjoy what is honestly a really exciting event without cannibalizing on their ultra luxury offerings. And seriously, if they can't figure out how to do that, there are probably a few dozen promoters in this town who could teach them a thing or two. (laughs) It might also help a bit to get more of a buy-in from locals. But if you want that, you're going to need to do some outreach. Every other sport that has come to Las Vegas for a big event has also brought inexpensive fan events to help familiarize the community, especially the kids, with their sport. Hello NFL. They uh, set the standard in doing that. Yeah, and and many others as well. But yes, NFL, and I'm looking forward to that. Come Super Bowl time. Yet I didn't see any of that stuff from F1. Why not have a couple of retired racers come to Las Vegas a few weeks before the race and lead a low-priced experience where kids can get up close and personal with race cars? I mean, I don't have kids, but I think they would like that shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why weren't the Las Vegas morning TV shows or radio shows invited to the Miami Grand Prix to broadcast live and familiarize with their viewers and listeners at home with this sport? 
Why not offer some free or low-priced tours of the paddock so locals know what the hell it is? And if none of those ideas make sense for this particular event, then you figure out some similar things to do. And once again, I can recommend some locals who could help with this. Because if you get Las Vegas vested in this thing, our citizens will be your biggest cheerleaders. If you ignore them, do not be surprised by the negativity. Look, a fucking man. If F1 has the humility to learn from the hiccups of this year and adjust to the idiosyncrasies of our city, I honestly have no doubt Las Vegas can adjust to the idiosyncrasies of their sport and the inconveniences and create a one-of-a-kind destination experience with a massive following. If they don't, Man, this could be a flash-in-the-pan experiment that will be remembered alongside the MGM theme park and some other very expensive <laughs> blunders. So I'm hoping for the former. I am happy to do my part to get there. Please consider this diatribe a contribution to that cause. Amen. <sighs> well said. And well, well done. Oh, thank you. I mean, I, I, any, any yeah. thoughts, you I, guys? Something I learned I, a week ago about the, the promotion of this race and the organization and all that. Most races, all of NASCAR for sure, and most of F1 apparently, they're promoted locally. There are race promoters. There are track owners. It's a little different in, say, Monaco and uh, I think the Monza. No, not Monza. There's another street course uh, that's like that through the city streets. But this is the first time that F1, the organization itself, has completely done the race, organized it, put it on, and all that. And apparently they got a little hubris going on and didn't go to their promoter partners from around the world and ask for a little expertise. Or so that is what it seems like after everything that went on with shades up on the uh, the overpasses and... Uh, private security people bullying people to keep it moving along, moving along, and, and all and, that know, stuff. Everybody's mad about that, I have to say. I mean, I wish there were places where people could have watched like, from an overpass type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. However, that being said, I don't know like how safe it would be on those overpasses if everybody just stopped and watched Yeah, the they race. gotta keep on so going. You do have to keep people well, moving, you know, but I heard they were kind of assholes about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't they know. Apparently, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are local yeah. folks doing security, and they've been to many, many events. Uh, it, it seems like they were encouraged to be dicks yeah, instead of diplomatic. And, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I had read, I think it was Richard Vallada, who's a great reporter at the RJ. Now, he was interviewing all the, the big casino owners, and they all did great, right? And here's the thing. Maybe if you, you had enough high rollers that for your casino money that came in, the, the, you know, they did so much with the high high roller Baccarat tables that you know, yeah. they may have had great weeks. I heard about Win Las Vegas um, dealers getting humongous tips, and they all did well. But the problem was that wasn't trickling down to every restaurant and every business yeah. within their within these resorts. Jonathan Jossel at the Plaza said it was the worst weekend for bookings they've had all year. Oh my God! Yeah, and that's crazy. And and the thing is. You know, we, we've got to realize that if you want to inconvenience our entire city, and by the way, we got a, some That's lawn mowing go, going not on. Not F one. Well, there's no lawn going on. It's 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 the 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 needles being blown away uh, by the oh blowers. Goodness. Yeah, it's not an F one. Not an F one car. Not back a go kart. There. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you want a sold out Vegas weekend and you're going to inconvenience this entire fucking town for it, I am fine with that inconvenience as long as everybody goes home flush with cash afterwards and says, yeah, that was well worth it. You know, right. and. Um, 
unfortunately, some of those dealers may have, and I'm super happy for them. And I'm sure a lot of the cater waiters in this town did great because I'll tell you, the level of service up in those, those um, that skybox that I was in was just absolutely fantastic. So certainly people were making money. But if you want to inconvenience the whole town or if you just want the entire city's buy-in, then you have to make sure everybody's full. And if every for everybody to be full, you have to have experiences in every price range. Yeah. Yep. Let me take uh, you and Sue to NASCAR next February and let her get yeah, a, a, a feel of those cars up close and personal. Yeah, I would love for her and to actually see be it. able to see the race too. Well, that's the other thing in NASCAR, it's all an oval, right? It's yeah, like, it doesn't seem it. like it's as cool of a race. I mean, it seems like F1 race with all the car- turns mm-hmm. and shit is a lot more fun to watch from a helicopter, I would think. Yeah. But or on um, TV, but or on TV yeah, with, with a helicopter, you know, showing you that. But that being said, at least in NASCAR, I guess we could watch the whole race. Yes, I, I, I for one, you know. I'm not the guy, I'm not the fast cars, shooting guns kind of person, yeah. um, but Sue gets off on that stuff. She loves it. And yeah, I would definitely go back. Okay, I've gotten that out All of right. my system, and I think <laughs> that is about it. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing or reach out directly. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out in time at wishboneandvine.com. One more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. Green Valley Ranch has once again transformed the outdoor patio off of its hotel lobby into a seasonal lounge. It's called Winter at the Terrace, and it's decorated for the holidays with, quote, cozy igloos and fire pits, twinkling lights, cheerful music, and merry photo opportunities. They are offering about a half dozen holiday cocktails with names like Tis the Season, A Little Frost Tea, and Snow Day. And they have five French champagnes available by the bottle, pricing on that about $175 to $695. Two of those are available by the glass. There's a full hot chocolate cart experience and a small menu of bites, basically charcuterie, cheese, dips, caviar, and s'mores for dessert. Winter at the Terrace will be open Sunday through Thursday from 4 to 9 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 4 to 11 p.m. through December. In January and February, the lounge will be open on Friday and Saturdays from 4 to 11 p.m. Igloos are available with a food and beverage minimum starting at 150 on weekdays, 200 on weekends, and you can reserve those bad boys in two-hour blocks. Um, walk-ins are welcome, but you probably want to make a reservation, so call over there and figure out how to do that. Um, of course, the big holiday experience for many of us that we always yes. want to experience is the Miracle on Spring Mountain at the original Sand Dollar Lounge. It's up and running. I dropped by to check it out on the first day the decorations were up. It looked awesome, and I spoke to bar manager Chase Gordon about it. Miracle on Spring Mountain, this is our fifth year, and for me, it's, it is the embodiment of Christmas at the level of an adult's enjoyment, right? So we can come in here, we get a look at all the glitz and the glitter and the glam and have delicious cocktails with our friends in an environment that you just don't see anywhere else. What goes into this? Like how many lights, how many hours worth of work? What is the setup like for this? So the running joke here is that we start worrying about this program in January. So it's an entire year of work to get the one month of service that we do. 
just the decorating alone, you're talking close to 25 people working for 16 hours straight in one day to turn it into the Sand Dollar Lounge to Miracle on Spring Mountain. So I couldn't tell you how many lights, especially it being our fifth year, how many ones that have burnt out and that we've had to redo. I mean, it's, it's an endless amount of work, but we're really proud of what we do here. Talk a little bit about the cocktail program because, you know, clearly the decor is fantastic, but it's, I mean, Sandauer is much more than just a great bar to hang out in. It's a great place to drink. And Miracle is much more than a place to get your Christmas lights fixed. It's a place to get some serious Christmas cheer. Yeah, that's correct. So as a program before the holidays, we, we really hold ourselves to a high standard for our cocktail program. So when Miracle comes around, uh, we get really excited. This year, we've got uh, 12 cocktails, I believe. Uh, each one of them, uh, a litany of ingredients. We spend a month before we get the program started getting all of the things we need ready. Um, this year, I think it's one of the best menus we've had. Uh, a lot of regular favorites have come back, and we've got some new things to enjoy, including new glassware. We have a new unicorn mug, and we have my personal favorite, the Krampus mug. Uh, it's like uh, very, very evil looking. It has two horns that are handles and the mouth is wide open. It's uh, pretty, pretty rad. Cool. Um, also, one thing that goes on during this um, miracle on Spring Mountain is the guest pizza series. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, that, that's far and away my favorite part of what we do every year. We get some of the most incredible local talented chefs. They come in for one night. They do a specialty menu. Uh, we crank out sometimes over 150 pizzas in just a few hours, and all of those proceeds go to local charities. And I guess finally, now that there are two sand dollars here in Las Vegas, and this is, I think, will be the second year that you've had two going on at Christmas, could you explain the difference between what you do here at the original spot and then what you do downtown at the plaza? Yeah, so the, the, the plaza location does what's called Sipping Santa, and that's more of like a, uh, a beach bum Christmas. So something like, you know, Jim, Jimmy Buffett's house on Christmas, uh, a lot of tropical drinks, more tiki influence still with flavors that are indicative of the season, but definitely a more tropical vibe. And down here at the OG location, it's much more traditional Christmas. On the Strip, Easy's Cocktail Lounge in Aria's Proper Eats Food Hall will become Easy's Winter Wonderland on December 1st with twinkling lights, holiday decor, elves, and a lineup of top lounge performers. And on Friday, December 1st, Circa's Rooftop Legacy Club will host a Jingle Ball, no, Jingle Bell Ball from 9 <laughs> to midnight. It has an open bar, live music, and holiday bites from the team at Circa's Pan-Asian Restaurant 8 East. You get 15% off the $150 tickets with the code NEONFEAST15. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, hey, so 138 Degrees abruptly announced disclosure on yeah. Tuesday. Uh, social media uh, showed a post on their Facebook uh, and Instagram that read as follows. To our loyal customers and friends, we regret to inform you, but due to drastic, unfortunate circumstances, 138 has closed permanently. Thank you for all your support and patronage. Respectfully, Chef Matt and the team. Damn, that sucks. I, There's that got to be really some intrigue sucks. there. I tried I'm to make some phone curious. calls, and I couldn't get anything. Even the off-the-record things I were hearing were not um, not super juicy and not super informative. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just, you know, I hope that... Look, Chef Matt's been around this town for a while. Uh, he's done some great things and always gets people excited about what he does. So, you know, yeah. I'm looking forward to hear what's next for him. Yeah, me too. 
Um, hey, I, I, it's a couple weeks away, but I'm throwing this out there now because tickets go fast. It's a limited experience. But Double Zero Pie and Pub that we have had on the show. Oh, yeah, we've great all, event. We've all been there. We love them. They're bringing in Chef Gina Marinelli of Harlow Steakhouse in La Strega. And they're bringing in Mike Gaddy, who's the local rep for Trimmer Pills, for a one-night-only takeover benefiting Project Real. This is Wednesday, December 13th from 6 to 8 p.m. It's at Double Zero Pie and Pub there on Spring Mountain in the same shopping center off of Arville, I think it is, where Golden Tiki and Partage, all those guys are hanging out. Um, you're going to get a one-night-only menu in collaboration with Double Zero's head Piazzolo, Michael Vacnin. You get complimentary custom-etched beer glass featuring the Double Zero and La Strega logos containing a welcome beer, and the regular menu will be available, uh, but you want to look for things like they're going to have a special pizza. They're going to have special bites. They're going to have desserts. They're going to offer all kinds of really fun stuff as a collaboration between the two restaurants. And again, that's one night only. You can get your tickets on by or, or rather by making a reservation on open table. You pay then and there. And uh, yeah, you get to walk in and 50% of all Trumer Bill Trumer Hills Beer, say that five times fast, will be donated to Project Real, which is a local charity in Nevada whose mission it is to reduce crime, protect students' futures, and make Nevada safer for everyone by engaging students at a young age in conversations about laws, consequences of breaking laws, constitutional rights, and how to exercise those rights. So exercise your right to a great pizza, a great cause and a great collaboration again open table will take your reservations and you can pay right then and there reserve your seat you don't want to miss this oh man that sounds really good i'm super excited about that one gina marinelli of course one of the best italian chefs yeah, yeah, yeah. in oh. las vegas yes and yeah seeing her and obviously they're all part of the same restaurant family there's two restaurants the love group so um i'm sure that the collaboration over there is just going to be absolutely fantastic is that about it for this show? I think Isn't it is. Isn't that enough? I so. Yeah, I mean, this was supposed to be a fast pre It's not happening. Thing, nope, nope, nope. We just fucking ramble. Hey, that just ramble. means we have a lot of great stuff to talk about and share with people. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. Um, But yeah, we never <laughs> never run out of um, material on this show. <laughs> even on this uh, exit. Yes. <laughs> we so, just can't even get to that. Oh, look, big thanks to our guests, Rick Moonen, Aaron May, Amanda Signorelli, Justin Kalalui, and Chase Gordon. For Rich Johnson and Samantha Gemini Stevens, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. 